Hi everybody, uh, welcome to the uh, July 26th QPSC. Um, we will move uh, right into roll call. Trustee Banerjee, here. Trustee Bouquet, here. Trustee Charland is absent. Trustee Hernandez, here. And Trustee Jensen, we have three presents, we have a quorum. We have a quorum. So thank you everybody. With that, we will move into closed session. Try to match the 
person with uh, the medication with band check, correct? Yeah, we do double identifiers. It's just not in this policy. It's a never as a separate okay. procedure, yes. So, so this is just to make sure that people are aware certain medications kind of sound alike, yes. right? Yes. Um, look and sound. And look and, and sound look alike. And you're really relying on people to actually look at these signs that you've made to remind them that those drugs have that. Is there any other step, though, um, before they order that they need to verify that that is the right medication? I'm sorry for going too granular, but it just really, uh, it, it just seems like this is relying on the person to remember. Yeah that these are very similar sounding medications. So I, um, I do know that in EPIC, um, when one orders similar sounding medications uh -huh. or lookalikes, they capitalize the distinguishing features of the names of the medications. Okay. I honestly cannot speak to the various EHRs in our system right now which do and don't do that functionality. Um, um, and then, uh, so you're right, talking about sort of human engineering, yeah. uh, that would be, that is one of the things we'll look forward to. And then, but the, uh, and then the pharmacy has in place, oftentimes depending on the, you know, the clinical condition and what the medication is, they will often double check it as well. So I can't speak to the different EHRs to know if there is any uh, features that help <coughs> distinguish, but I look to some of my colleagues on the table. But Epic is going to do Like see the revisions are quite extensive. 
Yeah, they were not using the Columbia suicide. Yeah. They were using something else there before. Yeah, we committed to make the
which might not fall onto the master dashboard, but are, are important nonetheless. And so I, I look forward to comments from, from, from the Chiefs of Staff in that regard. The third uh, question is, is there a process, in a process in place that the board can determine over time whether the medical staff and management team are accomplishing their goals? So again, this is exactly what we're trying to do here. So I, I would say with regard to these three questions, this is the direction setting that we're trying to do here. And uh, I, I hope that we'll maintain aspirational on making our, 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 our quality committee uh, pursuing continuous improvement. On page 300, there were three, uh, they, they, they made a comment to three specific board responsibilities. And I actually thought this was a nice little summary of it. So, so first, uh, the first part of this quality committee's job, or, or any uh, board quality uh, responsibilities are first to credential competent physicians. That's why we engage in closed discussion and have questions about temporaries. And, and, and that's why we have a very uh, uh, effective medical staff office who, although sometimes overwhelmed, are doing very, very good work. And, and uh, so with that, I, I say, well, continue in that charge of uh, making, uh, making good decisions in who we credential. Um, the second thing is monitoring high-level system-wide quality markers. So this is going to be a question that, again, we come to today. Are we choosing the right things that we're following? Uh, are these the quality metrics that we, we as an organization to uh, choose to pursue and follow? And if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it, right? And then the third question, or the third responsibility of the board is to set the quality agenda for the organization. So, so, so th th this is our job, uh, and uh, uh, I, I was inspired, re-inspired by this article that these are uh, uh, things that we should be doing. On page 319, uh, there was a list of questions, uh, if you will, this is a cheat sheet, uh, questions for board members to ask the quality committee and staff. I, I, I'd ask the, 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 the quality committee members to read this over. I'll perhaps print this out and have you available at the next meeting. And I'd also ask for our, our, our uh, administrators who are get presenting reports, our, our clinicians who are presenting reports, to also read over these questions and, and anticipate. Again, uh, I think my take home is that this is, this is a well-written and uh, a good guiding document for some of the work that we do here. Um, any other discussion on this article? Dr. Trustee Banerjee? I think, um, you know, I, as, as much as we can, where we uh, align our dashboards and our metrics to the Institute of Medicine or the IHI, things are where which are absolutely the gold standard of things are where we should be going. And like you said, some of the dashboard metrics that we choose we know that we got this one, like right? because so much of it is uh, tied to uh, our payment, um, so our reimbursement rate as well. So um, there's those metrics that we show the board or we we do for the high level things. But then there are you all see just so many other metrics, right? So I hope that in the quality at the QPSC that we'll see that evolving thing of metrics that might not be, you know. Those 57 are those that are tied to a prime or others, but that you all are grappling with and where we can see some change happening because those are the ones we are struggling with, not the ones that we are already doing really well. Excellent. 
Um, so item two of my report was, it was a question, is steep the way to see quality at AHS? So I want to follow up for those who weren't in the room at, at last session and talk about steep. Uh, just to reflect back in 2001, the Institute of Medicine published a report uh, or a recommendation for the so-called six domains of quality. And, 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 the, and the acronym STEEP has been used in that, so let me refresh what those STEEP elements are. Safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, and patient-centered. Uh, in our current state, our True North metrics, again, this is a very important dialogue because we're deciding on True North metrics today for some of the pillars. Uh, we, we are housed within a construct of six organizational pillars. And, and uh, I have uh, taken straw polls, walking around the hospital, asking people if anyone can name all six right off the top of their head. I'm gonna tell you it's, it's a minority of people who can name all six off the top of their head. I'm just saying. Um, I always like history, so remember the history of these six pillars actually were developed under the Lassiter administration in, in, in late 2013. Um, uh, Given that it's now time for our board to decide on these true north metrics, I think this is an opportune moment to reflect on this current state. I'm not saying to change anything, but to reflect on this current state and see if we're best poised to do the work we're trying to do here in the quality committee, which is quality, okay? Um, under our current construct, quality actually spans three of the six pillars we have. Access, experience, and then there's actually a quality pillar. But if we, if we actually went back and reflected on this Institute of Medicine construct of safe, timely, efficient, equitable, um, and, and patient-centered, I missed one there, effective, uh, is that a better way to see quality? Is that something, and I'm a gastroenterologist, is that more digestible for us to, to, to see it that way? And, 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 and I would like to open up this discussion here just briefly as we start to move into uh, our, our, our metric discussion later on in this session. And do we have the opportunity to collapse three of our pillars, access, experience, and quality, just down to one pillar, quality, which actually con contains access and experience? Question mark. And is this the way in the, which we can have quality discussions in this organization, rather than separating them out? Would this allow us to see quality more holistically as the product of its component elements. Discuss. One question I have is, what if we put this on a whiteboard? Could we identify how many of our dashboard items fall in each of these categories, and which, if any, are not well represented? So I'm curious, uh, again, because of my particular background and what I do for a living, how do we know that we're being equitable? And how are we measuring it? Again, if, if I am not aware what the outcomes are for certain age groups, certain ethnicities, gender, transgender, uh, people who we serve, I, I'm not going to know. Or by zip code. And, and I know that that's a hard thing to do. And EPIC should allow us to do that. And EPIC should allow us to um, uh, collect more data some of these activities. It's just right now, if we put this out there on a dash on, on a whiteboard, would we say that we've got ten things under timely, five things under effective, you know, and so on? Well, Summiting to the ER level two staff. 
Trauma team to the ER, level two staff. I think that's a great question. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Hussein and Dr. Barbaria are going to be talking us through TNMs. And the TNMs are actually going to be presented to us in the current construct of the pillar. But I think let's, let, let's, let's look at through it through the lens of Steve as they're presenting it to us later later in the session. I think that, that's a very interesting exercise for which we've, we've talked about a lot of things. So, Can I just comment on the equity piece of that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think one, definitely looking at, you know, what do we have in each category? Um, I can't comment on that piece. And it would certainly be worthwhile to make sure are we covering all of these areas. We do for Prime, just so everyone in this room is aware, collect all of our data um, and are able to stratify every single metric in our warehouse. So all 56 metrics for Prime, plus all the metrics that we're building for QIP by race, language, ethnicity, and soon once we collect enough of the sexual orientation and gender identity data, we don't have enough of those data points yet, we'll also be able to stratify by SOGI. So we have that. It is thousands and thousands of data points and not easily, obviously, you know, you couldn't fit it on one whiteboard. Um, but we are looking at that, and there was actually a very interesting conversation we had with the county last year that when we did look at all of the different categories, we're actually unable for Prime to find um, many where we had visible disparities, and there's an interesting phenomenon in the literature where, especially in organizations where we're seeing such a low socioeconomic status population that you don't see as many of those disparities because everyone is disadvantaged. On, on a number of metrics, actually, white men were the ones with the largest disparity, which is completely counterintuitive and not what I would have predicted, and probably because we also have higher rates of homelessness and substance use in that specific population. Um, but it's a common county phenomenon other counties ever experience, as opposed to if you go to the private sector, where some of those disparities um, become much more evident. Thank you. So, um, if the fact that once we we collecting it is one thing that's really good to have that on hand. But how are we using it? What are we doing it? At what level do the do every does each of the you know business units? At the, how, how does that you know how is that data used? Is something so for me? I always want to know like oh there's a new art review out or there's a new DJs. How, where is where does that information? Kind of trickle in at the at the practice level. Like, yeah, I think we're still learning how to use it. So I can say for those quality metrics and ambulatory, you know, we certainly review it, look for patterns, look for any disparities. And as I mentioned, so far we haven't found a lot because many of our patients, you know, they're so far off the curve that it's hard to detect those differences. We're in the process of building provider level dashboards, which I think will also be really interesting to see. You know, is there a variation? at the provider level. Like I know friends who work at Kaiser, they get specific feedback that, hey, your patient satisfaction scores are great in this demographic, horrible in this demographic. You know, we need to look at what is maybe your inherent bias or communication style with these populations. I'm hoping we get there. Um, and Epic will make a lot of that type of analysis, I think, much easier. Put all that to your way in. Yes, there was, um, and actually today, uh, uh, there was a robust discussion about social determinants of health data and population stratification, predictive modeling, which is, we, could, we can geek out on all yeah. of that. <laughs> um, but the second thing I want to mention is that I think there's two concepts here. Um, one is absolute disadvantage and then relative disadvantage, right? And I think part of what Paul was highlighting is, is the absolute disadvantage so deep that the relative disadvantage we can't catch? 
but we have to, part of, as uh, Trustee Pickett was saying, is we've got to come up with our corpus of the critical initiatives we're gonna track and then begin asking those questions. Have we met, met our minimum standard that we have to meet and then begin to slice and dice? Until we figure out our core work, it's really challenging in our current environment to do the deep dives that Paula has been asking. So I think getting, today deciding what are those core areas we're gonna pursue with extreme depth is critical. Yeah, I agree, thank you for that. So uh, I, I ask our CAOs to, to make a wish list. Uh, if steep was the way in which we do it, what would be on your steep list? Question mark, and I look forward to those dialogues as an FYI. I've had this nice discussion with our CEO who is very intrigued by this dialogue. So uh, as we continue to move forward. So with that, I'll close out item C, the QPSC chair uh, report, and we'll move into item D, the medical staff reports. Um, Dr. Hearn? Sure. Uh, Dr. Hearn's report begins on page 322. Great, well again, thank you very much. Um, in addition to the credentials and privileges, um, we have had a number of uh, professional services and contracting um, uh, inputs uh, to MEC. Um, although fewer in past, fewer than in past months, there were only five contracts that made it to MEC this month, um, but uh, those individuals said that they had reviewed them, so that's, that's excellent. Um, in terms of quality and outcomes, letter C, um, uh, the discussion at MEC was um, fairly extensive. We probably spent 45 minutes talking about our, the search processes right now. Um, there is the notion of um, sort of critical overload fatigue in that when we first started our search processes well, a, year, a year ago, um, when we would, there, uh, the NEDOC score was in red, which means dangerously overcrowded. Um, we called uh, a, a code internal triage, and then we would open the command center. Um, and representatives from EBS, case management, uh, nursing, physicians, et cetera, would show up at the command center. And I vividly remember a few of these episodes where it was actually, you know, things happened and running a whiteboard and going over individual cases. Um, I think one of the challenges is, is that since, uh, it seems like since July 1st, it's about, it, it's the, the, yeah. the frequency of the surge reds has increased uh, dramatically and so um, there's a sense of alarm fatigue, such that uh, even if the command center is open, there may not be anyone in it. Uh, one of my colleagues a couple weekends ago, it was a, you know, we were in Code Red triage, and she actually went to the command center, and she was, there was actually no one there. Um, and part of the challenge is, is that, um, you know, a lot of times there's an incident commander who may or may not be in the command center, they may be just in their office, but, um, it is uh, because we're sort of always in this sort of surge process in the last few weeks or quite more frequently than normal. Um, it is, uh, there's alarm fatigue. Um, right now the inpatient medicine census is hovering around 100. Um, and in prior months, it, it, this time last year, it was normally averages about 70. High 70s, 80s. High 70s or 80s, and so the inpatient medicine teams have been required to, you know, to put extra people on the floor to try to uh, take care of this. Um, but it's really, um, 
really been a, a shocker in terms of, you know, we're like we're in, in 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 a critical overload of patient situation, and yet the providers are are just feeling a fatigue. Like, what is there to do? Um, and I think that's part of the challenge. Um, a number of my colleagues at MEC have talked about um, expanding the the sense of overload to include not only emergency department overcrowding, but PACU and ICU overcrowding. Um, the chair of anesthesia mentioned and when he was on uh, on one of the weekends around July 4th, either the, I think it was the weekend afterwards, that there were a number of patients who just couldn't make it through the PACU, that there was sick calls, there was uh, canceled cases, and, and, um, and sort of frustration in that there were a lot of cases that they have a whiteboard, their patients were waiting to go to the OR, and a lot of them had to continue to be delayed. Um, and so increasing, and some of these discussions are, are, we're, we're starting to have, uh, like increasing the, the scoring process to include the ICU and the PACU. I don't know if you recall, but a couple months ago, I mentioned a, a case where Dr. Miraflor did a, a colostomy for a, patient, for a patient who remained in the PACU for five days, um, where there's one bathroom for the 10 patients who are there, Lights are on 24/7. It's just a horrible, horrible system for them. And just last week, that same patient came back to the colostomy takedown and was in the PACU for another 48 hours. Um, and that got discharged. So it's just it's a there's an overall sense that there's critical overload. We don't want to this to become the new normal. We you know there's been a lot of uh, a lot of, there have been some resignations, and, and I think it's just been sort of a challenge. Uh, the through committee in the MEC, uh, the through committee have been reconvened. Uh, they met in June, and they were planning a meeting in August, and I believe they actually met last week. They sort of moved that up, um, and there's been some new additions to the through committee. I think um, Sylvia Lozano is now on that, and is helping to sort of map that out, so that's helpful. Um, so uh, it's just a, we feel that there's some challenges for throughput overall right now. Um, there's some uh, challenges, and as you can see, some challenges with discharge planning. Um, there have been a number of uh, poor patient outcomes in terms of patients who have been in the, in the waiting room of the, of the ER. Uh, this is open session, so I, I'm reluctant to give those specifics, but there's a handful of cases where um, there have been bad outcomes uh, based on no physical space to see these patients. And that's been a, a big challenge for us. So how is how is operations kind of like aligning with the clinical, you know, crisis? Not right, but you know, just the just the, this can create urgent need. How how are you all meeting and working together on these things, especially? Well, I, I think as Dr. Hearn mentioned, I mean, it's a multifaceted problem and, and, and it impacts every single, pretty much every single person in the facility. And so it's not one area doing one thing and that's gonna resolve the issue. It's, it's there's, there's multiple components, multiple people working at the same time to try and address the issues while we're managing. I mean, again, you're, 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 you're managing variable demand with fixed capacity. And so we're, we're working through that process. And you know, so the ED and the physicians are doing their part. The medicine teams are doing their part. Care management is doing their part. Post-acute is doing their part. Behavioral is doing their part. 
the internal operations with you know EBS trying to do the turnovers and the cleans and you know some of those things. So there's there's a tremendous amount of activity that's happening uh, throughout the day and in, in, in that entire process. And so you know by the time we get into a search level red, which many times you know there's activities happening and and uh, you know efforts being put into place even before we get to search level red, um, you know, in, in, in hopes that we would be able to mitigate the circumstances and, and manage the environment in a way that would prevent us from going to search level red. But when we do end up in search level red, uh, you know, it, it just takes a different step of uh, step and a different uh, set of actions that take place with the staff to, to manage that. So, I mean, I guess to answer your question, I mean, yeah, operations is intimately like involved. How are we, how are we mitigating some of these? Like, how would you Well, I mean, I, what I can say, I mean, I'm not quite sure exactly how I can answer your question because there's so much activity that's happening. I mean, specifically, we've got managers of the units, nursing directors and nursing managers that are rounding on every one of their units, working with their managers uh, at, the, at each level and identifying who are those patients that are potential discharges that then they can partner and work with their providers and the physicians to see if we can get discharge orders written for those patients. I mean, those are very deliberate steps the are being taken. Stuff. I'm sorry? The placement kind of thing. No, this has, this has to do with just identifying if this patient's ready to be discharged from this particular unit. Where they go is a different story. I mean, is, is it this patient? This patient is ready to be discharged. Are they going home? Are they going to post acute? Are they going to a different type of uh, level of care? So, that that's that's activity that's happening that's very specific to the unit with those managers and those leaders. So they're actively rounding in their units. They're trying to anticipate and work closely with the medicine teams to um, help facilitate and fast track some of those discharges that need to occur. Concurrent to that, we've got. In the operations side, you've got housekeeping that's really ramping up and bringing in staffing and looking at seeing how we could address when all these discharges occur. It's not that we have one discharge that happened. You know, there may be a period of time when there's absolutely no discharges, and then at 6 o'clock in the evening, we get 12 discharges. So now there's 12 rooms that need to be cleaned and processed and ready and turned over for our next uh, set of patients to be moved up from the ED. So. So there's, there's all this activity that's happening that's being managed by the staff. So again, it, there, there's multiple, multiple efforts. Care management is involved from, from the very beginning through the entire process, trying to identify what we need to do and how we need to manage those steps to help facilitate and engage other care providers in, in the sense of other levels of, of, of care to try and you know, fast track that process. But again, there's other limiting factors to that as well of how we can place certain patients depending on, you know, their coverage, their, you know, some of the demographics, things of that nature. So, so there, there, there is a lot of work. And so as Dr. Hearn mentioned, we, uh, to, to further clarify that, you know, we have a, we've had a, we had a search committee that initiated uh, about a year ago. Uh, that search committee has now transformed into this throughput committee uh, that we're looking at because the search committee was really initially tasked with developing and establishing a search plan. And we didn't have a search plan until about a you know about a year ago, and that's what then when we then implemented the NEDOC scoring to have a mechanism that was quantitative that would allow us to paint a picture of how we were performing as an organization. We put that in place. We then transformed that same cohort of, of individuals in that group 
to start focusing on the throughput activities of what's happening. And so they, there, there's been a couple of meetings. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I, I will be doing, and I'll be working very closely with Sylvia on our, our VP of System Transformation, and she has done some work already in the sense of created a fishbone diagram. They've identified some of the opportunities. Where are some of the challenges? Where are some of the bottlenecks? What can we do to address those? And so we'll be revamping that committee as a whole. Uh, it was previously led by, uh, by John Chapman. Uh, I will be stepping in uh, to, to chair and lead that effort along with Sylvia and several others that we've revamped the composition of the committee. Uh, to really look at this and then create subgroups that will help carry out some of the actions and steps that we need to do to drive those improvements that we can then sustain long term. Uh, and then ultimately the CAO, CNE will be the chair of the throughput committee, which is a key component even within EPIC where we have a, a bed management and a throughput management uh, component that's integral to the EPIC implementation of the build. And so that will be a role that will be forever. So, so anyway, so bottom line, just a tremendous amount of activity. We're not there yet. We have challenges. We're dealing with, those, with some of those issues. Uh, but we're hoping to continue to drill down and uh, focus on those areas that, that are physician-related, those areas that are nursing-related, those areas that are care management-related, because everyone has a piece in this, in this uh, process and how we can focus on all of our areas and drive those improvements and collectively we can make a difference. Um, our chair of medicine, Dr. Rachel Baden, uh, happens to be here, and uh, thank you for attending, Dr. Baden. So uh, uh, I would say that m the majority of patients in-house are probably related to the Department of Medicine service, so I think Dr. Baden probably has some insights. Uh, any comments, Dr. Baden? Um, so I would echo what everyone has said. Um, Jean is right in that people are frustrated, and this is also July, so these are brand new doctors in the hospital, and we're even sort of at full tilt um, surge red most days. Um, so, and that has been more of the, we're in it more than we're not, it feels like. Um, so we're just trying to support people as best we can. Um, we're looking at a number of things actually right now. Um, the throughput committee did meet, um, and I think we have a new framework for the discussion. One of the things I think we realized is that we weren't all speaking the same language. So I think it has to start with establishing what that language is. So we know that care management is speaking the same language the quality is, that operations, and, and, and then the clinical teams are, and so that we're defining things in the same way as we're looking at these metrics. And I think that was an important thing that we learned at the first meeting, um, the new re redesigned throughput committee. Um, we now have a cadence of every two weeks, um, which I think will be helpful. It hadn't met with any established frequency before. So I think all of these are good things. Excited to have Luis be part of it and to help lead it. I think that will be bringing his eyes to this at that level, I think will help us tremendously. The other thing that's happened in the last few weeks is that we've restarted our daily multidisciplinary rounds between case management, social work, and all of the clinical teams. Um, we revived this meeting with new rules um, and a new time that works, I think, better for the clinical teams especially. Um, I think we're still figuring out how to communicate best with one another, but I think this is a very good, positive move in the right direction that we restarted these daily multidisciplinary rounds. So the clinician, the attendings on the various inpatient teams um, report out on every patient to the case managers and social workers. They report back on what they have in terms of discharge planning, any home needs, et cetera. So we're all on the same page and we're communicating. I think all of that is good. I agree with Louise that this is a multifaceted problem. Um, and I'm excited to have Sylvia be part of the conversation. She's very skilled at helping us understand process. 
um, and her fishbone, di fishbone diagram was presented to us at Chairs Huddle this week, and it's a lot for us to think about and digest. So I think overall, we're starting to get a handle on what we need to do. I, as I say to people, these are the good kind of problems to have because I think they're fixable. I think we just need to start with all speaking the same language, all acknowledging we own a part of it, um, and then meeting regularly to try to figure it out. Thank you, Dr. May. That's nice really good to hear because you've been one doctor on the open saying just that it really is an acute, the entire acute care, not just something that's restricted to yeah, no, I'm, I'm really glad that we're that we've had the conversation and that uh, that we're getting everyone involved. Um, and it is it is, it is definitely a, a challenge, and a lot has been a lot has been written on the throughput and that sort of thing. And they're clearly they're clearly challenges. Um, so some and, and sort of that touch everyone's lives. It's you know it's radiology and it's care management and CVS and it's you know the clinical departments and it's it's really fascinating how multifaceted it actually can be. Thanks, Thank you, uh, so you, you, you still have a report to go about, but I guess my commentary is this particular problem is a wonderful case study in steep, right? Safety, timeliness, equity, efficiency, effectiveness, and patient awareness. So uh, I, I think this is the kind of thing we're trying to light on. So I'm glad we got so many elements of the people who want to do uh, the heavy lifting here. It's a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a, pro it's a, it's a significant problem, but I agree with you guys. It, this is a fixable problem. So. This, this committee looks forward to continuing here on, on, on our progress. Okay. And uh, San Angelo Hospital uh, is actually uh, trying to uh, take on this process as uh, winter season coming on, and uh, we're hoping that you have all the uh, bugs. Uh, <laughs> 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 It'll be fixed for you. Due to our, uh, our bed restriction, and uh, we uh, yeah, like to uh, have this beautiful and similar type of uh, Search. Yeah. Yeah. We'll let you know when we figure it all out. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Hart, please continue. All right, and I have uh, two other uh, things on uh, um, one of the things that we have talked about in NEC is um, right now there's a bit of a uh, there's a bit of a challenge in uh, in the nursing leadership positions, and that we've had a number of um, people resign and had some transitions. New organizational structure. There's a lot of there's a lot of transition right now. Uh, as you may know, our chief nurse executive was out of leave for a, a fair amount of time, and that and that has left the organization. Um, a bunch of the people who are acting um, uh, have, or are directors of nursing have resigned. Um, there's another um, resignation sent out today from the, the, one of the managers in the SDU. Um, there was no nurse at the MEC last month, and that has happened other times this year. And I think it's just, I, I, we want to make sure that everyone's at the table. And I think that it's just, I know that we're in transition and we're going to be hiring some, some new people. I just, it's something that the MEC talked about. And so I feel obligated to, to bring it up that there's, like right now, we actually don't know who to talk to when there's a nursing issue. Um, so that's, that the wellness counselors in place. So. And, and, and to end on a positive note, <laughs> <laughs> note, we are very excited that our the contract was signed. We have physical space for our wellness counselor at the halftime position that was funded by the medical staffs of all three hospitals, CMO's office, AHP, uh, and, uh, and so we technically started on Monday. Uh, she still doesn't have a phone or a computer yet, but she has an email. 
Um, and so uh, I've reached out to the chairs if they have individuals that they are referring. Um, they are welcome to refer to her at this point, also available over Skype, et cetera. Um, and as soon as we get an actual phone number, we're actually going to send it out to all of the medical staff. And this is for resident and uh, medical provider well-being. So all mid-levels, CRNAs, uh, PAs, nurse practitioners. Um, so we're very excited about that. It's been a long haul. Mr. Fonseca, can you comment, please? Can you comment on the CNE search as it relates to nurses? Uh, sure. So I can, uh, I can, maybe I'll speak to that as, uh, for a second. So I mean, you know, one of the things that that we we are working on that we need to continue to develop as an organization is that that uh, kind of how, how that working relationship occurs between physician leaders and 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 division and department leaders. You know the the, the CNE and, and you know which we've now combined and we've created a role of the CAO CNE overall acute care services. That person is going to be ultimately accountable for you know the operations of all three of our hospitals and really supporting and guiding the day-to-day -day operations and delivery of care uh, in conjunction and, and, and in partnership with those site leaders that are going to be the, the vice presidents of patient care services. They are accountable for the, the vice presidents of patient care services. They are accountable for the sites themselves. So San Leandro, Alameda, and Highland. We currently have uh, a Vice President of Patient Care Services here at Highland. His name is Roche Holman. Uh, he is currently out on a medical leave of absence. Um, again, things, things that do happen, and we have to manage that. And we have Teresa Cooper, who is one of our directors of the Family Birthing Center, very capable uh, uh, senior nursing director that is stepping in and filling in that gap while he's out. And I sent the communication out for that uh, earlier today when I heard of the extended uh, medical leave. So, it, you know, so we're working through that. So I agree with Dr. Hearn that there is, obviously, that this is a transitional time where we are working hard with our teams. We are, um, you know, setting high expectations for our, for our teams and our staff. We're, we're, you know, expecting a lot from, from everyone that, uh, that is, is, is involved with, you know, the leadership and the support of the organization. And, some of them have decided that they, they feel they, they can, you know, support <coughs> other organizations, and that's fine. We're working and we're bringing in the right, uh, you know, the talent and the, you know, the skill mix that we need to really support the operations. Um, that said, uh, you, know, uh, you know, to the point that Dr. Hearn made as far as who they communicate with, they don't communicate with the CNE or the, you know, they, they, there's, there's department directors and managers. If there's problems in the ED, we have a director of the ED. That's Shereen Cronin. She's our senior manager, senior director for nursing that is managing and accountable for the operations of the ED. Similar structure at the other hospitals. Same thing with other departments. The only area where we currently have a vacancy uh, is in medical surgical or med surge, uh, which is Clarabay uh, Berlin uh, that uh, moved on to another facility up closer to home. So we're working actively to manage that process. So. My point and what I want to reiterate is the fact that we have that leadership at the divisional level, at the departmental level that is available and should be working closely and collaborating with all of our physician leaders to continue to drive performance. As far as the CAO, CNE, we're working uh, currently with, I'm working closely right now with uh, our recruitment team and human resources. Uh, the position was posted uh, a couple of weeks ago. I did receive a preliminary report uh, yesterday from our recruiting team. I don't have all the details, but what they mentioned to me was that they had received 13 applications for that role. 
of those 13, uh, they had reviewed uh, all of them to make sure that, uh, you know, sometimes people apply for roles that, that may not be necessarily aligned with their skill mix. And, but of those, of those 13, uh, and of those that they had reviewed, seven of them they felt were very talented, qualified, highly skilled individuals. That's very encouraging to me. I mean, when you've got a pool or a candidate, you know, a list of, of seven very potential candidates, more than 50% of those applied. Uh, I'm very encouraged by that. So our plan is uh, once they do their, their, they do their initial vetting and they do the validation of some of the documentation that's been submitted, they will send me a narrowed down list. I will review those and we will begin the process of engaging in interviews with some of our key leaders, which again, I anticipate for that role. I expect some of my colleagues and the executive team, as well as some of our position leaders and uh, some of the other leaders that will be working <coughs> or reporting directly to this, to this role will be part of that interview process. So we're working through that uh, right now and I'm uh, hoping that in the next several weeks uh, we'll, we'll have a, a better sense of, of timing and what that's looking like and how we'll be able to fill that critical role. For the community hospitals, we're equally going through the same process. And uh, same thing, I've got those applicants as well. We had several internal applicants that applied for those roles. So we'll be looking at that very closely. I'm, I'm very, very also uh, encouraged by that. Uh, you know, we, we want to see our staff continue to grow professionally and take on these roles with additional responsibilities. And so we're going to be looking at that very closely, making those decisions. I anticipate that those two roles, uh, I'm hoping to fill those much sooner than, uh, than probably the CAOCNE. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll be making a decision on those versus in the CAOCNE we'll be trying to identify and coordinate those various panel groups and individuals that were part of the process. But we're working through that and we've got some good uh, momentum right now. Uh, Dr. Herney, know I am the same way every time. Do you have any further comments or suggestions to help us in the pursuit of the highest quality care at Highland and the Corps? Yeah, I think we spent plenty of time talking about all of our suggestions. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much for that report. Uh, next up, we will go with, uh, how about Dr. Chu, the San Leandro Hospital Report. Trustees, this is on page, page 323 of your package. Uh, from uh, LMB uh, Professional Service Contracting, uh, the contract for reimbursement of incoming of the common chair at San Diego Hospital, who were uh, put in place uh, as of uh, January 1st, 2018, still pending. And um, this uh, we want to emphasize this more historically a paid position by NHS and the chair. Uh, we felt that should be paid uh, for the work they have done already, as the uh, the contracting team uh, neglected to uh, send out the contract to the uh, incoming chairs. So uh, I have been in contact uh, with uh, the uh, key players. Uh, the contracting team, and there was some progress made, but uh, hasn't been resolved yet. So, who's, how is this moving forward at the board? Is it uh, the finance contracting team that has to? Yeah. So, so this is this is actually the physician contracting team uh, that, uh, and Mike can maybe speak to that. But I will just say that uh, Dr. Chu and and uh, Dr. Pernia, who is our president of Alameda Health Partners has been looking at this, is actively involved in the process, is evaluating and looking at determining what the appropriate uh, 
you know, uh, contract mechanism should be as far as what the, the true scope of responsibilities and, and uh, within each one of those roles should be and based on their current agreements that are currently in place. And so there's some analysis and review that's been going on, but they, they are actively looking at it and they're working through that process. Yes, and the, in, in terms of the actual contract, I mean, you know, that involves upon the business owner, whoever that's going to be, whether it's the CMO or the president of AHP, basically identify the need for a contract and then the contract is created. I think one of the practical issues is you know, avoiding, you know, engaging in, you know, work or services before that contract's in place because then it avoids the situation of someone who will actually come work for which uh, they can't be compensated. Based upon it, but I do know um, that the request at this point has been made, and I think the last I understood it, it was just a question of determining what the actual terms are going to be. So once that's decided by the principals, the business owner, the doctors in question, it's not that big a deal of whether to get the contract in place. The, the issue of what has happened prior to the contract being yeah. phase, that's much more difficult and complicated. Um, because there are some challenges to uh, compensating uh, physicians for services after the fact, uh, basically the start, and any kickback laws prohibit you from doing that uh, for fear that it you know, um, appears to be in violation of those laws of the anti-referral provisions. So um, that said, you know, it's still a question of looking at to see how that might be addressed on a going forward basis, but that that's not necessarily an issue. Dr. Shu, what was the mechanism? I apologize, Tracy. Uh, uh, what, were, were, was there a contract in place up until December 31st, 2017? What has historically been, been happening and what changed? Is, uh, that, that's the part I don't understand. There uh, was contract in place up until uh, December 31st, 2017. And those contracts have been historical since St. Leandro became part of Alameda Health yes. System? And uh, you were election of uh, new uh, chairs into position. And uh, for some reason or the other, uh, there were some laps in getting a new contract done. Uh, and there were also complicated, complicated factors, uh, such as some of the uh, positions are now employed by HP. So, uh, so that's a different business woman. So there, there are some chairs employed by HP and some chairs are not. So the, the, this business, different business model, and there was some confusion regarding that too. So is there a discrepancy, like some are getting paid from 1st of January and some are not getting paid? No, uh, nobody, got, nobody paid. got paid. So, okay. And there was some uh, confusion even between AHS boosted the business model. Uh, there was some talk of you know, uh, business model, uh, HP should be the business model. There was some talk of a AHS uh, or the chief medical officer should be the business model. Uh, and that created uh, some delays in getting the uh, contract out. And then it's a uh, cash 22 situation that because of delay, they cannot get paid for services. They yeah, already they done. Was needed to be done. So yeah, but the work that needs to be done always been done. Trustee Lauren Jensen, sorry. <laughs> I, 
Is this um, an issue at the other, for the other MECs? Do the other MECs have paid chairs? Yeah, it's uh, it's an issue also at Alameda Hospital. I guess the, the situation here is because at community hospitals, most of our physicians are not employed by other health partners or employed by AHS. So there's, when they assume leadership roles, which are traditionally being um, compensated uh, before AHS affiliation, uh, there's, no, um, there's no continuation of that cycle, which is in the context of things is not really a, I mean, it's minimal. It's a show of appreciation through the efforts that Physicians have volunteered their work to do it. I think that the um, I shared the same concern with um, like the staff at San Leandro is that um, uh, the uh, the physicians are are asking you know the physician leaders to to see where you know, constantly asking us where the situation is. Um, you know, aside from you know, these leadership roles, physicians who go to this clinical practice council or the system. DLT are also involved during their time to grow uh, and review these policies that we all look at. Similar. So, but to be clear, yeah, my understanding is that there, there is a different structure down at the hospital versus San Leandro Hospital in terms of how the clinical leadership is provided. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you know, there's not the same department structure at Alameda Hospital, San Leandro, and the clinical leadership at Alameda Hospital, that compensation is negotiated as part of the contract with the individual, so for example, so it's not a separate item of contract negotiation for those services as part of the, and, and I'm asking this because that was my understanding, because the question you did come up with is whether or not this is the issue that needs to be so for Alameda Hospital, physician leadership, only the uh, president of the medical staff traditionally gets stipend from Alameda um, Health System. All the other um, clinicians who are leader, committee leaders at uh, Alameda do not get any type of uh, compensation, not even from the medical staff. All of them. But for CPC and uh, System PMT, we were the physicians who, who um, volunteered to participate in these committees were gave, given assurances similar to San Leandro that there would be some type of um, compensation for their time. So my concern is that they are still not compensated for the time that they're given and if they are not being, um, not going to be compensated for the time that's spent then physician engagement would be very difficult for them to attend these meetings who record. Yeah, because I, I understood that there's administrative time which is negotiated as part of those individual provider contracts which takes into account the performance of these duties. That's what the administrative time is negotiated for. Um, if that was the intent, that has not happened yet. So I think there's obvious, there's, there's obvious yeah, there's further no dialogue needs to happen. My, I guess yeah. my question is simple. Which executive has an ownership over this issue? That's Dr. Jamali. Okay, so Dr. J has ownership over this issue. So um, we'll, we'll ask for a report back from uh, him. Get, uh, obviously, give him time. He's <coughs> here and uh, know that, that we'll be following this as, uh, as well along with you. So thank you for the report. Thank you, Sophia. Yeah. 
I have a question for you, Dr. Matthew. So what uh, you say the president of medical staff uh, has traditionally has been uh, compensated by AHS, how has that been going? Has that issue been resolved yet? Yeah, yeah the issue, <coughs> the issue has been resolved, so there's a contract that was signed, okay. which is through the structure that uh, Mr. Moyer has described. Is that well, that's my question is about the structure. So does that mean that um, it's through the AIM contract? It, or is it yeah. a direct contract with a provider? Because that, that's it, where it's... Um, it was uh, made as an addendum to the AIMS contract. Okay. But it... So it doesn't have to follow that an AIM provider would be the MEC? No. Okay. So after... Whoever assumes that role will be a different type of contract. Okay. Thank you. Dr. Meyerlong, does that contract compensate you for the 18 months that you weren't compensated? Uh, Unfortunately, no. Okay. So you worked as MEC chair for 18 months with no compensation? I had compensation through the medical staff. But not the AHS component? And that is not built into the new contract? No. That's by the reasons pointed out by Mike. This committee looks forward to, to future dialogue with our with our chief medical officer on this, on this issue. Dr. Chu, please continue your report. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's uh, to uh, now section B, uh, quality and outcome. Uh, quality has implement, implemented a, a monthly leadership huddle at San Diego Hospital for our participation from uh, Dr. Hussein, uh, Vice President of Quality, Chief of Staff, Nursing, and uh, uh, so far, the nursing uh, aspect has been, uh, is to be determined as there's a uh, le uh, nursing leadership change uh, recently. Uh, our uh, nursing executive, uh, Vicky Arquero, just uh, has just retired. And chief uh, medical officer slash uh, associate chief medical officer. Um, and uh, I had the first meeting Dr. Hussein that was very uh, productive and I'm looking forward to for the meeting with uh, the quality uh, leadership huddle. And uh, Dr. Hussein presented uh, the peer review redesign proposal with more structure, quantitative, quantitative uh, data that could be tracked and trained to drive the standardization across the system. And uh, that was uh, very uh, helpful. It will be, uh, seems like uh, over the past few, uh, two years at least, uh, we've been uh, trying to uh, implement uh, a updated uh, peer review process that will be uh, common amongst uh, the system and we finally are getting somewhere uh, my view. Hats off to Dr. Hussein for that. And uh, we are uh, also arranging for an open house of AHS simulation uh, cent uh, uh, center in uh, September. And we uh, continue to uh, have mock tracer uh, in anticipation in the upcoming joint uh, commission survey. And uh, I, I want uh, oh, to compliment uh, Mr. Adrian Smith and his team. They are quite uh, thorough and quite knowledgeable. I have uh, participated in several of the uh, mock su uh, smart survey walk around. So different parts of the hospital are not even aware of that exists. <laughs> uh, impressed, and I'm hoping that this will help us 
being a, a firm commission of serving. Any question on that? No. And uh, the other issue, I'd like to defer that to uh, the uh, uh, open session of the board trustees. So uh, we can uh, discuss the, uh, our concern from uh, some angel agency. Got it. Um, I'll close the standard work. Uh, Dr. Chu, are there any other suggestions, comments, concerns with regard to our ability to pursue the highest quality care at San Leandro Hospital? Uh, I uh, think not as like everything, communication is the key. And uh, we would like to have more communication, a frank dialogue with the administration as far as uh, their uh, goal for the uh, uh, for the San Diego Hospital and the whole system as a whole. And uh, that's, it's very, very broad. I understand it's very broad. But uh, maybe uh, things will become uh, more clear when I present uh, other issues that our MEC has uh, concern about. Thank you for your report. Thank you for your report. Dr. Maglong, please. The Alameda Hospital Report, Trustees, page 325 of your packet. Good afternoon for Alameda. Um, Board, uh, for physician services and contracting, um, we reviewed the non-physician contract report and the committee approved the contracts applicable to the Alameda Hospital campus. I think one um, request that we have when we get these physician reports is to, um, some uh, physicians have questions on, on the contracts, but the, um, there's nobody on the, uh, from the administrative side has that can answer questions for, for each of the contracts that are being brought forward. Can, can you clarify that statement one more time? So, um, so for non-physician contracts that are coming in, and um, initially there was, we were having problems with which site is applicable, is it applicable to, because when it mentions AHS, does that mean just the poor or the entire system? So we kept struggling with with which particular campus this contract is applicable to them. Um, we was understanding that if it's AHS, then it's the entire system, and then it, it will just spell out which campus uh, these contracts are, are, are being, uh, is it applicable to. There was nobody there during the MEC meeting, so from the administration side, so we were, uh, we were, um, we did not know. Uh, and the, 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 some contracts were new, I mean, uh, were just continuation. And so, um, but you know, they were reviewed. Uh, as far as the Alameda, the one that uh, is applicable to Alameda, you know, we did reach out to the physician that reviewed the contract, and uh, there were no issues raised. So, this one. So. Um, Quality uh, and outcomes. Um, uh, we also um, review the peer review redesign that was proposed. As you remember, this was uh, piloted at Alameda Hospital. Uh, we've had some uh, inputs uh, regarding um, the categories, and we discussed that with uh, uh, Dr. Tanbir already. So, um, as for us, other issues. Um, the uh, MEC also approved the concept of uh, implementing a professionalism and conduct process. Uh, so we are, uh, there will be further discussions with this in the collaboration with the other two medical staffs to um, standardize uh, physician code of conduct and the process of how we're um, 
we are going to be um, dealing with uh, professionalism for the medical staff that would be uh, similar as much as possible on all three campuses. So we're working on that more to come in the future. Um, we also discussed uh, echocardiogram coverage on, week on the weekend. Uh, this was, uh, uh, I brought this up on, our, on the last meeting, so we're, we're, we're there have been discussions with the cardiology group uh, for this, so we're um, working with the uh, administration to be able to uh, provide this type of, of uh, coverage for our patients at, at the hospital. Uh, this basically impacts our, um, our uh, length of stay and as far being a, a stroke center uh, to be able to provide timely uh, echoes for our patients. How, how is it currently offered, Dr. Michael? What's the availability of the So at present, it's um, on, on during Monday to Friday. Ah, uh, Monday to Friday. Monday to Friday, so. Business hours or 24-7? Uh, business hours. Okay. Um, and uh, I think the, there are two aspects to this. One is if, um, if there's a patient that requires a staff echo that uh, with the uh, consultation with the cardiologist that we are able to provide that on weekends. And the other one is just for an additional day of the weekend so they don't pile up on Monday. Or they, so this is ongoing discussion at the hospital. And um, that inspires uh, for Trust your name. I'm struck by something which is implementing a professional code of conduct process. And I was under the assumption we had something like that everywhere. So we do. Um, uh, the three uh, it's not, it's it's not the same. It's not similar. Right. And I have four different ones. For <laughs> um, sexual harassment, for disturbing uh, behavior, and so the whole idea is that Integrated into a single policy. A single policy, yeah. That or would be terrific. Yeah. There's a new the hope of this is that as more providers cross the three uh, medical staff and we talk about one certain behavior if we all understand what the process that would be great. is it just makes things easier for you. anything else Dr. Michael? so a question any any further comments concerns suggestions to help us raise and approach the highest quality at Alameda Hospital uh, not particular. I would just echo the uh, same thing that uh, Dr. Chu mentioned. Is more is the communication with engagement with the medical staff and leadership. I think there's opportunities that we can work on it. Um, one thing that we request, though, uh, is that if on committee meetings or at the MEC that certain, um, the uh, leadership is not available with certain commitments, that there be a representative there on their meeting, so at least they would take back these issues from uh, the medical staff. Trustee Chancellor. 
Um, I apologize for asking, not asking this before, but um, can you just give us an update on the transition in the ED? Well, the transition in the ED has been doing well. I think um, we have lesser uh, locums that are working at the emergency room. And stable, it's working. Our, our new um, medical director has started this month. And that's what I mentioned to uh, uh, Dr. Bouquet that you know, our QRCs are starting to, to work again with, with the new leadership on So I think it's working well. Thank you. Any other further dialogue? With that, we will close um, item D, and we will move into item E, which is an action item. Uh, this is recommendations for access quality experience. It does say network, which we're gonna, which uh, Dr. Hussein and I spoke about for the 2018-2019 True North Metric Dashboard. Dr. Hussein, 45 minutes was allocated. Uh, I'm not keeping us on time, I'm, I, and I want to give Richard and Karen certainly time for the great reports. Do you think we can do this in about 20 or 25? I believe so. Okay, so uh, as, as we go into this dialogue, trustees, uh, if you will, uh, uh, Dr. Hussain wrote a very nice document and begins on page 328, again 328, and these, just to, to refresh, are the metrics that we, we plan, that, that we are <coughs> determining whether to put on the master True North metric dashboard. I want to remind us uh, about the dialogue we had 30 minutes ago about quality uh, and uh, our current pillar system, which is six pillars. Uh, the pillars which relate to quality for this report are our uh, experience, uh, access, and quality. I'm pulling network out of that because network does not apply to this committee, so uh, I think that should be uh, voted by the full board. But, but, but access, quality, and experience do certainly relate the quality committee. Is that acceptable to you, Doctor? Uh, yes. So if, if you will walk us through this, uh, Dr. Hussein, and if we can do it metric by metric, uh, and maybe just a few words, and so we, I want I would, I would love for this board and, and all members of, of, of the audience of, the, uh, of our administration to make sure that we all agreed on these, on these yes. elements and that at least we can note that we had a dialogue about the why. And if you wouldn't mind, Dr. Hussein, provide a little commentary as to whether this could fit into a steep criteria. Absolutely, so actually what I'll do if you're okay with it, because as presented um, in the executive summary, it's by pillar, so I'm gonna reframe the conversation, go through each of the letters of steep, um, and so we can see whether or not we also can flush it out. But fully acknowledging we are not undoing the pillars, I just right, wanna, right. I wanna be clear with that, because I had a nice discussion with that with Mr. Finley, so yes. we're not here to undo the pillars, but we're here to consider reframing our view. So they are presented in pillar format, and, and go through that way, but yes. Let's see. To reassure that the metrics um, both fulfill the pillars and the steep framework. So, um, and I'm glad that I think all the people that need to be here can are here to weigh in on it. So, I'll start with. Uh, uh, so, uh, under quality, uh, we have the hospital. Uh, sorry, the the hospital acquired harms index. So that one would fall under the S and steep. So, how are we measuring safety? We're using um, a list of 10 patient safety indicators that if you look at publicly reported sites, um, get cited, and we have national, national benchmarks for this. So what we're basically doing is adding up all of these specific harms for 1,000 patient discharges. So that's a start. It's also a model 
where in subsequent years we can add additional harms. So it's just beginning um, that conversation. Dr. Sam, we've not previously seen the harm index before. Oh, uh, sorry, no. sorry, question mark. Oh, question mark. I believe in the past there was a reported PSI 90. Right. And PSI 90 has subsequently, there's been a lot of um, commentary on it because it has a funny weighing system. So it's very difficult to tell what exactly we're measuring. Um, so the nice thing about this is we're giving you a number. And when we report it out, like in the executive summary, we will be able to detail for you what is contributing to that number. And this is benchmarkable. With yes, sir. It's benchmarkable. And the idea is, um, as noted in the executive summary, and I've had this conversation with, um, uh, with the uh, chiefs of staff and the chairs, that we would then be able to present at each of the facilities at the Quality Safety Council and at the MEC the facility-specific data. That would be excellent. I would like to remind the, the, the committee that uh, uh, Trustee Hernandez, always forward-looking, brought this discussion up at our April retreat. Uh, we were talking about falls uh, and how falls were important, but we also talked about assaults and how assaults weren't necessarily. So the harm index is one opportunity for us to globally take a look at the picture. Um, um, I, 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 it's a national benchmark. I think it, it takes into consideration a lot of different things. Um, committee members, any, any concern with this as, as a selection of a metric? So I, I think it's a, a great metric. Okay, excellent. Um, and um, yes. Um, uh, so then, uh, to the T uh, and steep or timely, I think you'll see most of this represented in the access category. So um, we have the ambulatory setting, wait times for primary care and specialty care, and then um, for. Uh, the ED throughput, we had a good conversation here about the throughput committee. And so to put uh, laser focus on throughput between the ED uh, and the uh, inpatient setting, it's the median time from the admin order to the inpatient bed. Now we had excellent, con I had excellent conversations uh, with Dr. Magalong and Dr. Chu about what that would look like uh, at Almeida and San Leandro, and we would be able to use an ED throughput measure when we're presenting at the facility level. But there are some data challenges in, until we get one EHR. So um, so a couple of things. One, for the True North metric dashboard, a laser focus on, uh, on the throughput um, that we're trying to work through here at Highland. But when presenting this at the facilities, we'll be able to have a replacement measure. So this was median time from admin order to inpatient bed. Yes. Is that what you said? Yes. And uh, you'd be able to define a metric at both Highland and now Alameda, you said? Um, no. Oh, sorry, I missed that part. Yeah, so we, this would, the, the True North metric would be focused on Highland. Got it. Because we're only able to provide this metric here. Okay. But when we're rolling this down to the, uh, to, uh, the MECs at San Leandro and Alameda, we would have a proxy um, measure for ED throughput. Any commentary from the Chiefs of Staff? And John George, too, like these, uh, these metrics would apply to John George as well. Well, this one, this particular one says it's denoted only for Highland Hospital. No, but eventually. Um, I think that right now I don't have a metric in mind for throughput uh, uh, at John George, but I think this is a model that we could build upon, yes. So we have two two metrics under our belt, right? Harm index and median time admin order. Yes. All right, keep it coming. Okay, very good. Oh, and then the wait times. 
that's under time. So, so I, I do want to discuss wait times and, 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 and bring that one, bring me that. So, uh, Dr. Barbaria, how, how good are we at measuring this wait time data? Um, so we've spent the last year building an amazing wait time report that I personally validated has now gone through multiple rounds of validation with our entire team and frontline staff as well. So through the combination of Story and NextGen, now that um, almost all of our clinics, except for two areas, which is dental and ophthalmology optometry, um, every single other clinic in the, you know our freestanding wellness centers as well as here Highland is on NextGen. So the status and timestamps are automatic, so we are able to capture you know, when a patient arrives to a clinic, when they're registered, when the MA puts them in a room. Um, the provider piece is manual, so that data can sometimes be a little bit, you know, we may be missing a few pieces there, but then when the provider is done with the patient and ready for that patient to be checked out, we can capture that. We can capture how long it takes for that MA to check them out. So we know the entire patient cycle from when they hit the door when they leave the clinic along with you know a fair number of breakpoints in between and so what we're proposing is the total waiting time because when we've started to look um, there's a lot of variation across the clinics obviously and the problems exist at every step of the chain how long is our registration process how long does it take for rooming to happen you know in between those steps how long is the patient just waiting how long does it take for the provider there's a lot of variation there too so we think looking at the entire cycle makes the most sense because there's so many opportunities um, at every step to improve our patient experience with the goal being that you know we get to a point where the patients are never waiting for someone and that you know the processes we have to do like registration rooming discharge seeing the patient are as um, streamlined and as efficient as possible so Paula, let me, i want to make sure that i'm so this isn't actually wait time for appointment. This is actually total cycle time. Yeah, so it's total. Because it's listed as wait time during appointment. So should we retitle it? Yes, no. we should call it total lead time. I just assumed that during appointment means sure. during your time at the clinic. Okay, so if we can work on the wording, yeah, we can work on the so the so, so that's a total cycle time yep. through from from door to door. Does, it, does the clock start at registration? It starts before registration, so when the patient arrives, they check with the greeter. Arrival, arrival to walk out. To walk out. I think um, that's perfect. Right. Okay. Thank you. This is so, so we'll call much. It, we'll, we'll retitle that. Yeah. Yeah. This is so Our much goal better. is that people don't take a half day off of work to see their provider Got it. in the future state. Excellent. And in terms of access, like the no-show rate is important, but this is really about like how our patients consider. Yeah, and I think that's what we found is really, you know, the feedback we've gotten when we've taken these metrics to get feedback from, you know, both our patients. We've done some patient surveys, obviously, in addition to the CGCAPS data we have, as well as our staff and providers, is this is something that resonates with everyone. Our patients hate waiting. They hate, you know, being there for four hours, waiting to check in, waiting for their blood to be drawn. Our providers find it frustrating when they show up to clinic on time and then they're sitting around for 30 minutes for that first patient to be put in a room for them. Um, our staff find it frustrating when you know they're trying to keep the patients moving along and they're waiting for registration to finish or whatever it may be. So um, everyone is excited about improving this metric. And, and a question on specialty times. Will, will that just be a, 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 a global number for specialty wait times? Because special wait time for oncology, I'm oh, sorry, cycle time for oncology might be different for rheumatology. Will you just globally crush those? So we'll have an average, and then obviously at the performance improvement level, you know, yeah. every clinic and service line will be looking at, at this at a much more granular level. Excellent. I think that's a great All right. Three down. Thank I you. I have one more question about wait time. By any chance, do we have a wait time system around the ED? And are we ever thinking 
those mechanisms that other sites do now, which is you can actually time the dog. Yeah. There's many um, time metrics uh, in the this uh, time to provider and this time to the total length of ET stay and this also total length of ET stay for meditation. And I was talking to Dr. Hussein and he found one matrix that is common and trackable to all three ET at this point. But there are other matrix out there and I think is once we have uh, the ability to capture that within, uh, with, for all three ED, I think they are very worthwhile uh, time to provide them, time, time to discharge, time from a meeting order written to getting up to an event. That's also an important uh, measure. Yeah, all of those have been tracked for a very long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we have to report those uh, to the national uh, level also for our teaching component. Um, because the longer patients stay in our department, uh, the negative impact it has on uh, teaching services as well. So it is a nationally tracked uh, standard um, that we regularly. Uh, that we can do in Highland, but not necessarily equivalently at Allen. Correct. Which is part of the challenge. The definitions are slightly different, but um, I think this sets a good precedence to highlight the importance of throughput the ED as well as the outpatient space, and as we evolve it moving forward, we can hopefully pick one that will hit the entire system. So three, only, three down, Dr. Yes. Okay, yes. okay. So the whole, okay, this is a, uh, one thing to think about and one in the future framing is whether or not that arrival to walk out is timely or efficient, but we can have that discussion later. But the point is, so far we're covering our bases. So for effective, um, uh, uh, readmissions, I think, would certainly, you've already seen that on the Trinoid metric dashboard. It hits prime. It's a nationally reported metric. Um, and um, we're suggesting that continue as effective. Um, and um, the 57 metrics under prime and the 20 for QIP really cover um, ambulatory, whether it's primary care, specialty care, that inpatient and ED focus. They look at um, behavioral health, there's many components. So I would say those 77 measures, we're capturing a lot of things. Are they all cause readmission rates? Sorry, this is for the uh, prime and QIP. Oh, got it, got it. The combination of those two cover 77, I think. Um, one thing that we can continue to dialogue about is how to better surface some of the, some of those specific measures those among the 77. Because uh, right now, we we can probably do a better job of giving you better visibility ones there. So I would say effective is covered both by the readmission and then the prime and QIP. Um, and a good counterbalance to readmission um, as an effective measure is the efficient measure of observed to expected length of stay. Because we want to make sure that while we're trying to be efficient, that we're not, patients are not getting discharged too early and getting readmitted, but we also don't want to extend that length of stay uh, um, uh, so that we can help with throughput. So the observed to expected length of stay, um, the expected is um, uh, built on a model that's well validated on 24 million patient records. It's identified by CMS. Um, and um, uh, so that would, would be uh, the recommendation for efficient. Any comment from the committee on that? We've been watching at ODE on observed to expected um, a while. And yes. remember, we have a variance 
at San Leandro Hospital versus the other two, uh, and uh, changes in admission rates. So I think this is a great global thing to follow. Mm -hmm. Trustees, any other comment on this particular metric? We're seven down. Okay, excellent. So we had a you know great uh, preliminary discussion on equitable, and um, uh, I think this is an area where we will have to continue to advance. Um, one thing to note is, of course, the Prime and QIP um, programs are, of course, um, serving uh, a globally disadvantaged population against the Medi-Cal population. So I think we can feel good that we're at least tracking measures on, on a disadvantaged population. And Prime, there is data completeness for SOGI as well as REAL. And there is one measure that looks at disparity, right, um, for A1C, I think, within Prime. Yeah, we're looking at disparities in diabetes control between African-American populations and non-African-American populations. And actually partnering with our health plans too, because that's been an observed statewide phenomenon that Allied Alliance is also really interested in addressing. And, and we're doing it more than just for African-American as well, so we're doing it for Latinos and Asians, right? Yeah, so there's global diabetes control, which we're doing for everyone, and then there's a specific disparity reduction project within crime. Um, and that's, that was actually the group that had the disparity in our system. In your system. So not for the TNM dashboard, but, I, but I, I'd ask the, the board members and our, our administrators and our clinicians to think about how we could fulfill a need maybe at the next iteration of TNM through yeah. 19. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was the, the we stopped it, it um, we did, we if just I go OB. back to efficient for a second? Yeah, sure. Um, cause I'm, my note taking is slow. So we, we just are doing observed to expected length of stay. I mean, that's the main. Yeah. So what we will be doing is um, the nice thing about that. It's the nice thing is that um, it's simple and clean, um, but behind it is multiple layers because we can drive down by diagnosis, by floor, by facility, by provider, by division, by department. So it, it's a, it, the nice thing about it is a simple measure, but whenever you drill down, you begin to realize you can identify variants by all these different things. So I would say it's it. Uh, it's a, it's a good measure because it, it will allow us to ask these questions. And earlier today, I actually had a conversation with Dr. Baden about how could we translate some of these measures to a department or divisional dashboard. And, and are we just choosing one measure for each of the steep? Is that where this exercise is? We're, 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 we're actually choosing the metrics for the True North dashboard, right. but, but we're, we're, we're seeing it through the, the lens of the steep. We are keeping this in pillar format because we as a board have not voted to change the pillars. Right. For this, the purposes of this committee, we're trying to see it with, we'll keep our focus on this. But, but, but we were trying, and I this is what we were trying to make sure that we could check off whether or not they're in the state. So, so in other words, did, did any of these make any of those other criteria? Right, and so, I mean, this came up earlier in my question, probably about the dashboard about True North and the dashboard uh, with regard to the measures of efficiency, which include the um, ED admit or ED admit to discharge or ED encounter. There's all kinds of subgrants to to admit or discharge. I think the challenge of this is we have variants of uh, acquisition of that data at Highland versus San Leandro versus Alameda Hospital. So for a system level dashboard, I think that's why. We're holding off on them. Is it? Is it am I yes. recollecting that correctly? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right.
by Dr. Hussain. Okay, and then the last one, the P is um, uh, patient-centered, um, and in this case, those would be grouped under experience, so we have four of those. Um, on the inpatient side, each caps rate the hospital, um, as well as care transition measures. Um, and then CG caps rate the provider on the ambulatory side, and then on the inpatient behavioral health uh, need. Um, so three of those would be familiar from uh, this last fiscal year, and we're going to uh, pull in the care transition <coughs> measure because we know that that is, again, thinking globally about throughput, making sure that uh, we make that transition timely effective, also to help decrease readmissions, um, and we know that's a vulnerable period. So uh, we're looking at that space. So um, I think that would cover, that's, that's all the metrics. That's 13 metrics. Yes. Um, and in I started, did we talk about, I, again, I might miss it. We talked about the hospital infections, right? Oh, I apologize. Thank you for catching okay. that. Um, and that would also be under safe. So the harm indexes are the PSIs, and then also the hospital acquired infection index. So, so this is a composition of uh, central line associated bloodstream infections, um, uh, and then cavities or uh, catheter associated urinary tract infections. Um, as well as hospital onset MRSA infections. And just so you know, we are tracking C. diff, which is another common one that's actually embedded within prime, so we don't want to double dip. Um, but thank you for catching that, Trustee uh, But that hospital card infection index would also fall under safe because those would be harms that we're introducing to the patient. Um, thank you, Dr. Hussain. So um, uh, this question is to both you and Dr. Barbary at the same time. So I had discussion with Dr. Char uh, with Trustee Charlin a little bit. Trustee Charlin at the last visit was very interested in no-show rates um, uh, for primary and special care. So I want us to uh, have a little bit of moment about dialogue. And then the other thing that which, which we were previously uh, 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 tracking was the third next available appointment. That's historically we followed that for primary care, not necessarily for specialty. But the proposal is to take these off the dashboard. So I, I, I personally have an interest in the third next available, um, but I, I'm willing to have, I, I'm open to dialogue from, from, from the team. Should I start with rationale maybe as to why we recommended that? And then yeah. I'd love to hear feedback Absolutely. on why that does or doesn't work. Um, so I think TNA is a little bit more straightforward. Uh, TNA is very sensitive, both to the providers, but also the service line. So as you'll notice, in this past year, we had adult medicine only, because you know there are variations. As we've completed our template standardization in primary care, um, the TNA for adult medicine, women's, and pediatrics has considerably dropped, and we track it internally on a weekly basis, um, and it's remained well at goal. So I think part of the recommendation was, we don't want to put something up there that's in the green that you just see, hey, we're at goal all year, because that doesn't challenge us to get <laughs> any better. Um, and so we're following the you know DHCS access standards and, and driving to that and hitting that on most weeks. I think in specialty, the TNA really is all over the place, depending on the specialty. and. Some of that will be improved with template standardization, but in certain areas, we, we do have true access challenges and provider recruitment <coughs> challenges, as you've heard me talk about. Um, so I think specialties harder than average TNA just isn't very informative. Um, and then picking one also just seems not as informative. So what we do is we look at the TNA for every single specialty and site on a weekly basis in our weekly ambulatory scorecard, which I think is much more informative. So one offer is, you know, I don't know that the board wants to get to that granular level, but 
we, we could add the members interested on that distribution list to get that data on a weekly basis because um, I think it, it just tells a better story than some sort of average or picking out one and ignoring the other 30 specialties that we have. Yeah, when you've provided that bar graph showing us all of that, which specialty that, that's really that level of granularity is helpful, but not omitting enough. So Paul, can we stop yeah, on the steep? Absolutely. Any comments from the trustees? Is that fine to not include the steep? Yes. I mean, sorry, the, uh, the, the, the TNA. TNA. But please offer to the entire board. Anyone who's yes. interested in more data, I have lots uh, more, and I'm happy to share it with Trustee anyone. Trustee Jensen, any comments? Or is that an adequate explanation? Yeah. No, I understand what, how it's relating, how the, the pillars are related to the right. metrics. Okay. Yeah. And then no show rate. Yeah, so I think no-show rate is another challenging one where we did do an aggregate no-show rate uh, for primary care and specialty care this year, and as you will remember, we did improve. We did not hit our goal, so um, across the board we saw improvements. It's largely driven by consistent reminder calls and template standardization where we're not looking out as far. So as we've done deeper dives, as we were trying to drive towards our actual goal, um, I think two things have become apparent is that the remaining factors really contributing to our no-show rate one is patient-related factors. Um, in our patients, transportation, they're not having any sort of incentive necessarily to cancel appointments. In most private systems, they deal with no-show by charging $50 if you don't show up to your appointment. We legally can't do that with Medi-Cal, but also ethically, I don't think we would ever do that for our patient population. So our ability to get no-show rates down to private sector averages, you know, we're hamstrung partly by what we can do and also what our unique patient population is. Um, a lot of systems overcome this by actually overbooking to the no-show rates. They know we're always going to have a 10 to 20 percent over, you know, no-show rate. Let's just add two patients to every template. As you heard, you know, we talk about our cycle time issues and wait times are so severe that I don't think our system is in a place to do that, you know, either to the staff or the providers or the patients, which is end up waiting longer if we started doing that regularly. Um, so not that we don't care about no-show, it's just that the big interventions we would do, we, there's a lot of foundational work we need to do as a system before we get there. Um, no-show is also very specialty-specific, site-specific, and that is also on that weekly scorecard where we track it across you know, 45 different sites and specialties. Um, and it's something that, in aggregate, you know, we just don't find personally as helpful, but I would, off same offer stands, anyone who's interested in that granular detail, we can definitely share it with them. Trustees? Perhaps this could reside in a drill-down report, not for, uh, not at the at the true north metric. Mm -hmm. okay. I think so. I mean, there's so much um, of an opportunity to put it inside our uh, system for notes, and it's up to us to click on there and take a look. Okay. Any further further comment? Thank you for that great explanation. Thank you. So with that, I make the motion to approve these proposed 13 true north metrics not approving the network metrics, which will be presented at the big board uh, 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 meeting to, to follow. Second. Second. All in favor? Aye. Opposed? Nice presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so uh, I take us now into item F, and I am not on time. I apologize to Richard and Karen, because they've written out a very, very nice report. Uh, Richard and Karen, I don't think you've been in previous presentations where we were talking about New principles for the for the for the QPSC. Uh, uh, less uh, presentation, more dialogue. So you you both have written up a very excellent um, uh, report, very detailed. Uh, thank you. Um, I'd like you to just kind of lead us in, being sen sensitive to the time. I apologize, we have 15 minutes to go. Um, 
trustees, do you have any questions uh, uh, for either of our presenters? Actually, let, 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 let's let's uh, uh, do them separately, uh, and then we can we can do that. Let, let's do the behavioral health report, which begins on page three thirty, and and written in a very nice narrative function narrative format. I have a question, uh, Karen. What is the national 30-day readmission rate? Because uh, we, we quote a readmission rate here of uh, about 11.37, uh, which is uh, better than our baseline. But as we benchmark towards towards other similar such institutions, where do we sit on this particular metric for readmission? That's a good question. I think um, I think I will defer to our quality colleagues to talk about the benchmarking process. Okay. But I think what we literally are looking just con concretely on whether we're meeting those metrics. And okay. I think what we're seeing is a surprising um, improved trend um, overall, despite some of the acuity issues um, as well. Are there. I could say something to that. Uh, it's just very hard to compare apples to uh, apples to apples if you look at different sites across the country. Uh, recently, I have the uh, recently I had the opportunity of uh, discussing this particular aspect with, uh, among others, with New York uh, from, uh, from our uh, similar safety net hospital system in New York, and their rate for readmissions re uh, is seven uh, percent. However, then uh, in fact, what had been discovered was that how we what we are calling readmissions is different depending on where you are starting from. The uh, presentation with the PDS, I mean to the ED, to uh, and repeat, uh, repeating coming back to the ED, or repeat coming back to the inpatient unit. Now, once you just repeat coming back to the inpatient unit, the context changes a lot, because of, it depends on what services uh, are available as step down, what other, uh, uh, what is the other level of urgent services in the, available in the community, so the numbers, when you look at them, it doesn't uh, communicate very much. But um, yeah, I mean, that's uh, I have been trying to see if there is something similar that I can, you know, uh, compare with, and I haven't really found. Just to give you a sense, when we look at, um, I just pulled this out from HCUP, um, which is an HRQ resource. So. Um, like 30-day readmission rates um, when uh, schizophrenia is your primary disorder is on the range of 15.7% just for the psychiatric disorder. And you look at all-cause readmission rates, right? So dual diagnoses, you have health problems, plus mental health problems, it's 22.4%. So um, I think there's a lot to sort of... DC said that we are the, the behavioral unit is tracking it because they don't want the number to get worse but to try to identify what is the right benchmark is is, is very nuanced so yeah. absolutely and this more than others is so <laughs> dependent on the wraparound services right. outside exactly so, yeah. exactly particularly yeah. because there are um, a finite number of services within LA County so mm -hmm. further questions for Dr. Tribble Dr. Tribble, this is a very nicely written report. Excellent. Can you tell us what you're most proud of from the work that you've been, that your team's been doing recently? Uh, thank you. Well, again, I, I really appreciate my uh, our leaders coming to join and be a support as well. I think one of the, there are many things I'm very proud about, but I think <coughs> that has been touched on is throughout, 
is despite our rising acuity and our yeah. implementation of CSSRS, which definitely we would love to partner uh, with Alameda, uh, Alameda since that was initially our charge. But I think um, some of the nuances is really galvanizing to um, work together with uh, uh, patient experience. We literally are having press, uh, press Ganey come out uh, to visit us in September to really explore some of the apples to apples or apples to oranges metrics that we want to make sure so that we can raise our mark and really explore that. So I think um, by and large our team is really being connected and engaged and that's I'm very proud of that. I think specifically the bigger um, call out big ticket items to not take too much of uh, Richard's time would be uh, number one about the 100% increase in the substance abuse grant that we'll be getting, $1.4 million. And I think you all are <coughs> some of the historical challenges that faced our perinatal program. So I'm very pleased that we've work through those issues with the county and that program will be expanding. We'll be focusing in Alameda, so again, that's been an untapped uh, resource uh, for them to utilize as well as expanding across the system. Um, the other thing which I know will create um, much more opportunities for dialogue would be the CSU versus PES discussion. It literally, this is just a taste of what we need to go through. But we've already engaged the leaders, our staff, ex execs, um, um, I know there's some have been meeting, as well as unions. We're already starting the conversation of really how to make it more efficient, how to be aligned with the structure that we should be in, and really to affect uh, patient care. So um, I think uh, of the two, of the many things that we talked about, those areas have been very critical, and we've all been uh, hands on deck. And there's probably a lot more to update, so we look forward at some point to provide a little more detail about those areas. Um, we will move on to the second part of that, uh, and, and there's a nice dashboard included. Um, I think this is Richard's first report back to us since he's been back. Is that correct? That is correct. So welcome back. Richard. Thank you. Um, um, this is the post-acute report, also very, very well written and with a lot of clarity behind it. Trustees, do you have any questions for Mr. post-acute environment, it consists of multiple um, teams. So we have our skilled nursing teams, our subacute teams, our outpatient therapy teams. And so um, I think I'm most proud that in each sector there's been areas that have um, been identified for opportunities for improvement and that each sector has improved in areas that, you know, in previous discussion aligned with steep and so in safety for our residents, um, in timeliness in terms of our outpatient wait list. And uh, the other thing is for Alameda SNFs, they've been five stars for over two and a half years, which is really unusual. Um, you say that again. CMS um, ranks the SNF facilities from one star to five stars, five stars being the best. And the Alameda SNFs have been five stars for more than two and a half years consistently. And that's really unusual um, because buildings based on surveys, based on deficient practices or deficiencies that they find will drop. Um, and so I think uh, that is a huge accomplishment. I also think Fairmont had a huge increase in patient satisfaction in the last year of over 15%, which is a big jump for a building um, to move in that direction. And so I think in all areas, um, there's been marked improvements that we can say our residents are speaking to. What are the things that keep you up at night? 
So, post acute like has multiple departments. You were very good. You actually did that before me asking you. So, you, you, you talked about it. So. <laughs> I would just say um, the CMS has done a dramatic change in the post acute environment over the last two years, and we'll have another change in phase three in 2019 which is a complete revamp of the requirements of participation for the SNFs, the rules and regulations, the federal guidelines, and teaching and adding new processes, changing processes for regulations that have been in place for more than 25 years, um, and, and putting that on its head and teaching um, all of our sites the differences is keeps me up. Um, we just had our annual survey at Alameda, which is at three facilities, um, which was our first survey under the new RRP structure. And the, the state average number of deficiencies is 9.6 per building. And I stress that the Alameda buildings, there's three buildings on one license. And so when they're surveyed, they're all surveyed at the same time. So the preliminary, preliminary findings was eight deficiencies amongst all three sites, um, which means that the buildings each individually need to be at a high standard in order to maintain what one building is normally surveyed against. And so um, that keeps me with that line too, just making sure that the high standards that they currently have in place and that they're looking to further implement um, is done. Thank you. Trustee Jensen, you something? Well, actually, I could say this is also going to be discussed um, as part of the report in the full committee. I, I just wanted to know whether Richard knows this or not. Which, when you say um, the wait list for PTOT and speech therapy and audiology, that's that's a lot of different therapies. Which, I mean, I can't imagine that they're all pretty, that all of our outpatient needs are similar in all of those areas. So um, I just maybe, if you can't answer it now, I'd like to hear more in the future. Is there one of those, uh, PT or um, <clears throat> OT, probably for um, for rehab that post-acute that would be more uh, in need than others? So. so the outpatient therapies, you're correct. PT is the largest, because that's the largest need, and so that's the highest number of referrals and wait lists, then occupational therapy, mm -hmm. then speech and audiology is significantly less. and so. There has been a lot of focus on all disciplines, but largely in, um, and, and with the help of Cydia Lozano and her team on process improvement and standardization across the sites um, so that we can help bring in patients faster and, and reduce the wait time. So yes, PT is the largest. It's a terrific improvement, but obviously it's of concern because if what those types of therapies aren't provided immediately, um, after an event or after a, a, an admission, then there's more likelihood for recurrence. And, and I agree, and so that's why we identified this last year as, as being an area for an improvement, and we've also um, have recently implemented in the scheduling process um, a prioritization with the physician so that when a referral comes over, the physician has the opportunity to identify it as regular therapy or high priority therapy so that patients who have recently had surgery are prioritizing getting them into the system so that we can prevent uh, reoccurrences back into the acute setting. And um, so just in closing, that is something that I would I would <coughs> support or that we might examine further as a metric for, um, 
No, not on the two, on the true north metric, but perhaps at the SBU level as the SBU. So right. it's it, we have at the SBU level decided that this would be a metric that we would continue since there has been great improvement, but there is still opportunity to fine tune this even further. Thank you. Thank you. Trustees, any further comment? I'll end with the same question I asked. Any further comments or suggestions to help us in the pursuit of the highest quality care in either post-acute or behavioral health? Not from our area. Thank you for your report. I ask you to, to think about your wish list for how you build, if, if we go this way, a steep report that could, that could come to this quality committee. And it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to think about that, I hope. Um, with that, thank you for your report. We close out item F. We go to item G, plan, uh, planning calendar, which is very easy. Uh, the next QPSC is on Thursday, August 23rd. Thursday, August 23rd. I'll remind uh, not only the board members, but but all, all in the audience and our, and our, and our staff, that is, there will not be a full board meeting that, that month. It's solely a QPSC on that day. There's not a full board meeting. Um, uh, with that, I will go to general counsel, who always sent out. <laughs> um, so we close out item G, item H, <coughs> legal counsel's uh, report on action closed. And if he gets here in 55 seconds, I get out on time. It's all good. Yes. Yes, General Counsel. No, no problem. Item H, legal counsel's report on action taken in closed session. So we in closed session, the uh, committee did uh, consider the credential report from each of the medical staffs and include credentials for those files that were completed all the requirements. They took no other actions. Thank you, Council. <coughs> With that, you guys can have your 25 seconds of time. <laughs> <laughs>